uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we finish up this powerful chapter of God's Word uh, concerning the resurrection. And I purposely wanted to spend some time in this chapter because it's so rich for us. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start from verse 50. And next week we're going to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians. And you'll have to wait and see where we go from there. So it says here in verse 50, he said, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, for its power. And we thank you, Lord, even though we might not know it at times, that it's doing a work in our hearts and in our minds and it is changing us. And we just thank you, Father, that you've given us everything we need. So, Father, I ask through the power of your word as you teach us and the power of your spirit that we would walk away with a deeper understanding of what's in store for us, a deeper understanding of what it means to be called children of God, Thank you so much that you take such good care of us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been doing a study here in 1 Corinthians now for several weeks, and the study really centers on what happens to us as believers who get saved and then all of a sudden find ourselves thrust into a life that we didn't even imagine would be for us as the Lord works in our lives and in our hearts. We we get saved and then we wake up to the fact that, well, wait a minute, this is much more involved than I ever thought it was going to be. And I love it because that's the Lord. And it's very profound when it comes to coming to know Christ. And if anybody of us would sit and talk with one another and discuss how things have gone for us as believers, we find that it's been a very rich journey at times and also times of um, change. And so what the Lord wants us to understand concerning who we are is that he is preparing us, no matter what stage we might be, he is preparing us for his kingdom. And that's what he's doing. I mean, the second we came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, he started this process. And that's how the Lord works. And he, he started a process that was not only going to change us in how we live this life, but also a process meant to prepare us to receive his kingdom. And really what he's talking about in these verses is that we cannot inherit the kingdom the way we are. We just can't. And I'm glad because I don't really want to take my body into his kingdom. And I don't want to deal with what my body is doing to me, the way I think, 
uh, problems with, you know, mental clarity and remembering things and trying to figure out. I just would rather not have it. And so what the Lord is saying, well, you don't have to have it because if you're going to come into my kingdom, I'm going to give you a body that's able to handle my kingdom because your body wouldn't be able to handle my kingdom the way it is, which tells you really something, isn't it? Isn't it? It's like walking into this very powerful state of being in this, in this kingdom that is beyond comprehension because all we've ever known is living in a fallen world. That's all we've ever known. I mean, from, from teenage years or earlier years right on up to an older age and then the body's breaking down and the realization, oh, wait a minute, I guess I'm a part of this process also. But all we've really known is living in a fallen world and it's tragedy, you know, and so what the Lord does, and this is the beauty of how, what it means to have him as our savior, what it means to have him as our teacher, what the Lord does is says, if, if you choose, I'll give you understanding. If you choose to embrace what I have to teach you, I'll give you understanding so that you will hold lightly onto the things of this world if you choose. And so that's really what it comes down to for us as we live our Christian walk. It's a choice, isn't it? And we choose whether or not we embrace the truth of God's word in ways that truly alter the way we live our lives. Or we, we can choose not to. And we just kind of stumble along being buffeted back to and fro by the waves because of our uh, vacillating faith and things like that. And so what the Lord does, as Paul writes, and like Paul, remember Paul's writing, Paul is, and it's been said before, and I agree with this so much, his writing is eschatological, meaning he's always writing about what will take place in the future. That's what that means. And so that's what he's doing here. Remember this, he writes this book, as we think about 1 Corinthians, it's so rich in what he's talking about as far as the kingdom and as how we should live our lives and also addressing the sin of the Corinthian believers and saying, listen, if you, get, if you choose to get your thinking straightened around, it will go so much better for you. And then he goes and he starts, and he finishes the book talking about these things. And so we'll just look a little bit at last week, and then we'll get into what he's talking about today, which really excites me when I think about these things, about what we have in store for us. But so last week we looked at a process the Lord takes us through. Uh, with our resurrection and what he likened it to. And it's very hard to describe that, but he describes our bodies like seeds that are planted in the ground. He describes our lives like that. And so he said, your life is like a seed. And, and he uses the farmer analogy. And so we see seeds. I mean, we look at seeds. Some are farmers here. They understand what it means to sow seed and, and then the no-till and all that kind of stuff going on today. And it's kind of interesting, the GMO, there's all kinds of stuff going on when it comes to seeds and planting and growing things. But he said, your body's like a seed, like a wheat seed. And so when you put the seed in the ground, the seed does not even begin to represent what the plant's going to be like. You don't know. You say it's a wheat seed, it looks like a wheat seed, you put it in the ground, and all of a sudden you wait and it sprouts up. It germinates and sprouts up, and you see this plant growing, and it grows into wheat. Same with corn which we're all familiar with because there's a lot of corn growing around here, things like that, and corn seeds thrown in. And we understand what a corn seed looks like, and after a while it germinates, and before you know it, it starts to come up. And it's kind of interesting to see it go up and through its height and how, how tall it gets. 
but the seed does not represent the plant itself. And what the Lord says to us is that your body is like a seed that must be planted, that must deteriorate and die, just like a wheat seed does and a corn seed dies, in order for it to sprout. And so he said, that's why death is necessary. Uh, when we think about death, because death is like our being planted in the ground so that we could sprout into something that is not even recognizable in a lot of ways, and that's something we sprout into as a glorified body. And so what he says is that we must die first, like a seed, be put in the ground so that we can be resurrected with a new body. And so our, our, our resurrected bodies are going to be similar to our bodies here. I mean, I'm going to recognize each and every one of you, you know, with a gasp. Never thought you could look that way. <laughs> and they look at me and says, well, <laughs> never thought you could look that way either. <laughs> and that's exciting to me. But this is what we have in store for us. Now, what's interesting is we go down through this and study these things, and what he's talking about is, you know, his directive right at the end, and we'll touch on that, it says, because of these things, you must learn to stand firm in this life and understand the importance of it. And that's why he says this directive, it's a command. So therefore, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Because before you know it, and twinkling of an eye is going to talk about, before you know it, perhaps you'll draw your last. Before you know it, this life that has consumed you will be over. And then you'll be in my kingdom. So why not live well for me in the days you have? Life goes by so quickly. It's, a, it's but a breath, it's, it's but a vapor. So why not live well for me in the days you have left? Because what I have in store for you is beyond imagination. So therefore, put your hope in those things and understand those things. We look at this seed that's planted, and that's what we kind of covered last week going down through these things. Uh, like the seed, we must die so we'll be transformed into a body fit to dwell with God in eternity. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, which we're there, and you can look at verses 42 to 44, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so we understand that our present bodies obviously are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and natural. And the bodies we have in store for us will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. And that's what we have in store for us. And if you don't believe it, then you're calling God a liar. And so the thing is, as children of faith, we believe these things. Now, this is the thing about it. Do you believe it enough that it alters the way you live your life while here on earth? Do you believe it enough that it truly changes your perspective about what you're going through in this life? Or are the things of this life more important that you hold on to them and allow them to cause you the kind of grief that things in this life often do. And really, that's sort of the thing that Paul is talking about. And so I just want to read point one. As in, it is kind of a reiteration in a way. It says the resurrection will be, we will all experience as followers of Jesus Christ, reunites our bodies with our spirits to physically dwell with God. And I was just thinking about this, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels, and the saints forever and ever, and, and whatever else might be in his kingdom. I don't know. 
Can you imagine the spiritual forces up there and things? And what it does is it reunites our physical bodies with our spirits. Because when we die, we're separated from our physical body. And they call that a disembodied state, you know. But that's only temporary. And so at the resurrection, we're reunited with our bodies. Can you imagine the excitement for the saints that have gone on before us, for the ones that are recognizable, which we understand from Abraham and the rich, uh, 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 from uh, Lazarus and the, and the rich man and, and, uh, and that story, how we're still recognizable, but in a disembodied state. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for the saints who have gone on before us to receive back their physical bodies? That's fascinating. And they're waiting. They're waiting for that, to be reunited. And he goes on and he says, forever and ever. And he'll give us a body that will bear the likeness of his son. It will be a spiritual body, an imperishable body, a glorious body, a powerful body, a sinless body, prepared by the Lord himself to inherit his kingdom. And so this body must be these things in order for us to be able to handle, handle the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's given us concerning these. And so I just want to kind of go down through this once again, and perhaps for those who might be listening online or whatever and, and, and that kind of thing, but we're told in 44 to 50 that the resurrection depends on who represents us as a person. And so a natural body is represented by the birth of Adam. Uh, Adam is a prototype of our natural bodies. It says, verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, must be, uh, became a living being, and he con he's considered the dust of the earth. Uh, and then this first man was the dust of the earth, it says in verses 47 to 48, and was the earthly man, so that those, as so are those uh, who are of the earth. And so all mankind's born into his likeness. I don't know if I particularly like his likeness, but everybody that's born, little babies that are represented here, how precious they are. Their representative at this point is Adam. But that doesn't mean that it's sealed permanently. As we think about children being raised in the Lord and coming to know Christ themselves, and all of a sudden they start to bear the likeness of Christ, no matter what age they come to know the Lord. And so we've been born in the likeness of this earthly man. And as a result, there's a body that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We just can't because of it. And he says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God in verse 50. So we know that man can inherit the kingdom of God because Adam's sin became our sin. We know this. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. So that's just it. We understand that. So it's a matter of who you want to represent you. Now, that's another thing. Is, listen, believer, if Christ represents you, if he represents you, which he does, then why don't you let him represent you well? Or in other words, why don't you represent his likeness well while living in this world. Why, why, uh, why live like Adam represents us? Really is what he's talking about because of this sin. But the thing is that Adam doesn't represent us anymore. Jesus Christ does. Christ is a believer's representative. And it reverses the representation of the natural man for those who no longer wish to associate with the natural man. So what, unbeknownst to us, I didn't know these things. I get on my knees and I cry out to the Lord to come into my life and he changes my life. I had no idea what I was saying at that point is that I don't want Adam to represent me anymore. I want Jesus Christ to represent me. 
And I'm so glad he doesn't represent me anymore. You know, it's just like, who do you choose for friends? Or who do you choose to represent you? Obviously, you want somebody that really has it together to represent you well. And Jesus Christ ultimately and, and perfectly has it together. And so I, unbeknownst to me, chose to have Jesus Christ represent me, and I didn't want Adam to represent me anymore. And so here we are, and guess who represents us? Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, as we talk to one another, our representative is Jesus Christ. And that has done something to us and done something for us. And so the question is, as we live this life, what are we allowing ourselves to be consumed with? We find ourselves caught up in the affairs of this world in such ways that it takes away our joy, it causes us deep stress, it causes us depression, it causes us all kinds of different things because we've taken our eyes off of our representative. And it's a battle. I mean, we've got to constantly just sit there and just say, you know, Jesus, I just want you to represent me. And you will. And it just says here, you know. So here we are. He reverses the representation of the natural man for those who no longer wish to associate or, uh, with the natural man, Adam. He says in Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in this life through who? The one man, Jesus Christ. Uh, see, when I study these verses, I mean, obviously, I benefit because I study the verses, and I sit there, and oftentimes what I do when I start a chapter or start a, or a sermon or do things like that, I can't write. I just read, but I can't write. And the reason I can't write is that I've got to wrap my brain around the truth of what's in the Scripture. And I sit there, and I think about these things. And then it, and it just starts to sink in. It's interesting. It just starts to, it starts to just formulate in my mind the reality of what I'm reading in ways that I can just start putting it on paper. Because I need a, a transformation too, right? So those of you who poo-poo who the word of God, or lack of a better way of saying it, you know, those, those who, who, who minimize the importance of reading the Word of God and between, that's quite frankly, between you and the Lord or whatever, how in the world, if you do not allow the Word of God to germinate or to take root, or you don't allow the Word of God to bring about contemplation, how in the world are you changing? Yeah, that's the power of the Word. And I sit here and I read these things, and it, it truly changes how I see my life. It alters the way I think. And what Paul wants for us as we look at this resurrection in store for us is that he wants to understand the temporary nature of our existence here. And then the question we ask ourselves is, am I being consumed by the affairs of this world more than consumed by the kingdom of God? And if you're allowing this world to just totally defeat you, and man, why can't you just say, well, it stops here, man. I'm going to start making some changes because I just, I just don't want to live in this existence up to the day I die. Come on, really? 
And so that's what Paul's trying to do here as he writes these things. And so Adam doesn't represent us anymore. Jesus does. And so he reverses representation of natural man for they no longer wish to associate him, which I talked about. And it just goes here in verse 45 that he's our representative. And I'll read this as we go down through. He says this um, in verse 45. He says, uh, so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a living spirit. So we know that he's this life-giving spirit in verse 47 as we look at this. The first man was the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. And then in verse 48, he says this, and was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as it is with the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And I am of heaven. It's like each and every one. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> you know. I just love, listen, I, and I don't want to, you know, we, so we had this men's breakfast, just in the, so I go and being the pessimist that I am, right? So I go there and it takes about two cups of coffee for my brain to kick in and I'm going, ah, it's summer. Yeah, guys aren't going to show up, you know. Hopefully we'll get 10 out, maybe eight, you know. Not that I'm a numbers guy, I'm just not. I love the fellowship and things, but I'm, yeah, you know, I, I can understand all those things, things like that. Man. Listen, church, this is rare, I think, that there are men here who love the Lord. Amen? That means that they want what God wants. And they take that fellowship from a Saturday morning and they take it home into their families and into their marriages and into their life. Powerful. It's not me. No, heavens, my, it's not me. It's the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit. And so what he does, listen, this is kingdom living. You know, so this, he prepares us in such different ways. And we come and I get up, you know, and we just have such good fellowship. Ken does her cooking. It's tremendous cooking, things like that. And we sit, and guess what we did? I opened up the word a little bit, started to talk about these things, and then everybody started to share what the Lord was doing, their view of scripture, what was going on, and it just turned into this experience of just sharing Christ. And then we take prayer requests, and we pray for one another sincerely. There's such good fellowship, and then the men leave, and they go home. And the Holy Spirit has done his work. And I sit there amazed, because it is not me. It's him. And that cabin might have something to do with it. I don't know. And you think about these things, and you think about how the Lord works. And the thing is, he's doing a beautiful work among us. And our problem is we get our eyes off of our Christ, and we get our eyes off of what's in store for us, and we allow the world to consume us. And there's at some point where we've got to say, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. And it's us getting together and fellowshipping well together and just loving on one another well and raising our voices in worship and song and being in his word and things like that. That's being Christ-centered. And what that does is it enables us and empowers us to be able to get through whatever struggles the Lord has for us because we have a spiritual body. We have a representative who is Jesus Christ, and he is changing us for glory. And so we've got to get away from ourselves and stop being so, uh, what, self-absorbed and understand that this is a very temporary existence 
So, Lord, please give me the wisdom and the guidance and the insight to be able to live through whatever problems I'm dealing with in ways that bring you honor and glory. And that's just living the Christian walk. And so it's interesting. I just want to read this, and this is a side note. And in verse 50, it says, it's kind of interesting. So he said, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. All right, so... This is a side note, and I thought I'd put in here, and it's from Don Stewart, and I think Joe down in Philly teaches this some too, but he says this, flesh and blood speaks of our present human nature. The new body of believers will not be made up of the same flesh and blood like our present bodies. The Bible is very specific about this. Uh, he said, now I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. You know, uh, and we can see that every time we prick ourselves or cut ourselves or put our hand into the table saw or something like that, should we be surprised that we see blood gushing out, all right? And he goes on and he says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and this is in Leviticus 17, 11, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. You know, Jesus Christ made atonement for our souls. And he said, there's, and he goes on, and he says, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Do you understand the importance of the sacrifice of Christ? That he shed his blood to make atonement for our souls. And then making atonement for our souls, what he does then is he ushers us into the kingdom and is preparing us for the day we receive our glorified bodies. But then he goes on and he says this, the new body we will receive or receive will seemingly have a different type of life source. The new body may be bloodless. There's no need for nourishment in the new bodies because the new bodies will never break down. The phrase flesh and blood speaks of these current bodies. Food for thought. I don't know. We might not even have blood in our bodies when we receive our resurrection. That means that, and we probably won't even cut ourselves because we'll have resurrected bodies. You know? I'm not going to really experiment that way, like you know, with a knife. See if it penetrates. <laughs> guys think that way, right? Not girls, just guys. <laughs> well, anyway, just a side note, which I thought was really interesting uh, concerning that. And so, it's, and so it, he says that in order to, for us to inherit, and I love that inheritance aspect. And I just want to read the bottom here of, of, uh, of point two about First uh, Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what? Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Guess what? This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Mm. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed when? In the last time. So we have this inheritance in store for us. And, it's, and we're shielded by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, so this word inherit comes up quite a bit concerning those things. So then Paul explains a fascinating event that we'll experience. And it's when our resurrection takes place. And I'll just read verses 51 to 53. And it will say this. And he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, 
in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And so he said, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And at the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet call, we're going to be changed. And it's just going to happen. And we're all going to recognize the trumpet sound. You know, I don't care what we're going to be doing. You're know, in your garden weeding, you know, or you're going to be at your cooktop cooking. Uh, you know, you could be on your car, working on the car. You could be at work. You could be in your bed sleeping. You could be on vacation. You could be doing all kinds of different things that everybody does. And then we're going to hear something. And it's going to be the trumpet call. And we're going to change. What does that do for you as you live your life? Does it alter or should it alter your approach to life, the things that you're allowing in your life, the things like that? I mean, I wake up in the morning and I just, you know, I put my cats out, you know, I tie my cats <laughs> and they just love to get out in the morning. You know what I do? With, I shouldn't even go. I don't know why I tell these stories. So I take... I take Mo and I sit him there and I say, okay, in with the good. So I take his arms and I go in with the good and I breathe in, out with the bad. He's looking around, in with the good, out with the bad. And then I put his harness on him. Self-amusement, what can I say? But you go out, you know, and you go out and it's, it's so fresh in the morning. And it's a testimony of God's faithfulness. So fresh. It, it's just crisp. It's clean. And you sit there in wonderment, knowing at least that I am living a very temporary existence. It feels so temporary to me. And it just puts in me expectation. It also puts me in me a hope for the day. That God has given, God's faithfulness is new every morning, right? It gives me hope for the day. It's such a fresh, wonderful way to start. And I think about, I just think about, uh, and I praise God that, that this is just but a short stay here. And that's what he's talking about. See what Paul's doing with them. These Corinthians who were all caught up in idol worship and sexual morality and in the, in the garbage of the world, you know, and buying into Satan's philosophy and on and on and on, you know, and then he's saying, he says, don't you understand? Oh, you're here but just for a short time. And do you realize that that last trumpet could sound at any moment? Well, I just want to read point two as we turn over. And it says this, it says, the day we receive our imperishable glorified bodies is the day we hear the trumpet call of God calling us up to be with his son, Jesus Christ. We will know and understand instantaneously that we are being clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We will also know through the incredible change that takes place physically, <clears throat> emotionally, mentally, and spiritually that we are being transformed into an immortal state of existence free from death and the ravages of sin. I believe it. When we hear that trumpet call and we 
and, that, and, and we are being ushered up into heaven that we are going to experience this incredible change. And we're going to be well aware of it. And we're going to be shed from this tent. And we're going to be shed from this sin, this sin nature and the things that have confined us. And we're going to find ourselves liberated as he rises, raises us up to be with him. And it is going to be just an incredible, we're going to like, isn't it fantastic what we have in store for us? And it should bring in us an excitement, but it also should change how we look at life. And so many of us, listen, we go there. So many of us get consumed with worry and the things that are happening, and some of it's pretty hard. But praise God that that too is very temporary. Hmm. And so here he is. And let's just look a little bit at, at, at what this means as we as we look at these things. The resurrection will take place when the last trumpet calls us to be home with the Lord in heaven. And it will be sound at the end of the church age, the church age to fulfill God's uh, you know, uh, prophecy concerning those things. Um, God, it's at the end of the church age to call God's faithful to be with him. All believers will be removed from the earth at this time. Um, his church. And I'll just read this from Romans. This is where Bob has been on Sunday morning. But it, you know, Romans 11, 25 and 26, he says, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you'll not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And really what's going on here is that God's going to remove the church, the Gentiles, and he's going to turn back to his covenant love Israel. And he's going to work wonderful work there, miracles to bring his covenant love Israel, the Jew, back to him, and all of Israel will be saved. And that's what's going to happen. Now, when you look at current events and what's going on in today's world, when you see what's going on over in Iran, when you look at the things going on in Syria, when you look at all the things going on, the anticipation of building a third temple, and on and on and on, we're very close. I mean, and we've heard this oftentimes, but you look at it, the current events and the things, especially with the moral depravity that is becoming rampant in this country as well as across the world and everything else, we understand that redemptive history is starting to come to an end or a culmination to usher in, obviously, not only the rapture, but also the day of the Lord. And we've been in, it's interesting how sometimes where we are Wednesday night goes with where we are on Sunday morning. We've been in the book of Joel. The book of Joel, especially chapter 2, talks about the day of the Lord, the, the day being the big day. In other words, tribulation period. And it's talking about there's going to be a time when God's wrath comes upon this world. And he, but we're not going to experience that and praise God for that. And so what he, at that time, what he wants to do is resurrect us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, guess what? We will be with the Lord forever.
how then shall we live? It's a challenge. And Christ speaks of this in the Olivet Discord. This is Matthew 24, 36 to 42. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. Guess what they're doing today? They're eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage. That's what they're doing today. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, he says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Are we keeping watch? What does that mean to keep watch? Well, obviously it means that we are careful with how we live our lives, enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. Get married, have children, enjoy life. But what the Lord is saying is that when you do that, keep watch. In other words, live well for me in the life I've given you here. And so he says, keep watch, because our natural bodies cannot occupy God's eternal kingdom, and such a day and such a moment has to occur. And he says here in 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5, for while we are in this tent, we groan in our burdens, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. And I like that. I underline it. Who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so we have the spirit as a deposit. And he's prepared us for this very moment. And what he's doing is preparing us for what is to come. And what is to come will come because it's the word of God. It's the truth of God's word. It comes from his very mouth. It comes from his very pen. And what he does when we are saved is he prepares us for this very day when we will be called either up into the cloud from the grave or physically to spend eternity with him. And what he wants us to do is live well for him in the days that we have. And I tell you, if you're like me, it took me a while to get that. It just did. And then I started to get it. And I'm glad I started to get it. And so at the last trumpet call, we'll all be changed forever and we'll be clothed with the imperishable. And then he says in verses 52 and 53, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and immortal with immortality. Immortality meaning just that we will be immortal from time beyond measure. So I don't know about you, but you realize that you are living immortal right now. I mean, we think we're going to die, which we will, but yet our spirits live up. We live in immortality. And when we draw our last breath, it's not over. You know, we'll just be in different bids, right? <laughs> different dwelling. And he goes on and he says this here, and this is what I love too. He says this about death. When it, and he goes on, he says, immortality, he says at the uh, last part of verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where is it? 
And it's almost like he's kind of mocking it when he's talking about these things. It'll be complete victory over death. And we know that Christ's resurrection broke the power of death in those who believe in him. And it says in Romans 6, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And so here we are. And we understand that death is our enemy. But I view death differently even myself at this point. I tell you what I grieve more is now looking at somebody that has died who doesn't know Christ as their savior. And we had, a, we had a, somebody brought up a very good challenge yesterday at the men's breakfast. He said, we've got to open our mouths about Christ. We've got to open our mouths about the gospel. We've got to tell people about the gospel. We have no excuse not to do that. But yet we are intimidated. Why? It's a challenging question. And then he goes on here, and once again, I'll just read that the, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to him along those lines. And so what he did is he went to battle for us and conquered death so that we would benefit from the spoils of his victory. And what he does is he actually quotes a couple Old Testament passages, if I may, as we start to draw down. I just love these quotes. One is in the, uh, one is in the outline, and I'll just read this. Uh, Isaiah 25, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces and he'll remove his people's disgrace from the earth. And the Lord has spoken in that day. He will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. And this is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Talking about Israel, but also us here. And then he quotes Hosea. In 13, he said, I'll ransom them from the power of the grave, and I'll redeem them from death. Where, O oh, death, are your plagues? Where, O oh, grave, is your destruction? And so here we are, and it's just a matter of understand this thing of death. It's nothing really to worry about. Yet we kind of do, don't we? I mean, we just kind of know our living life and planning and things like that. And if we're really honest about it, most of us say, well, I don't know if I really want to die, you know? We really don't have much choice in the matter, do we? So why not live well for him in the days that he has for us? Then he goes down as we come to a close here, and he says, in order to have victory, there must be an eradication of the enemy, and ultimately, death is sin. And this is what completely eliminated by Jesus Christ himself. And so he talks about these things, and I'll just read down through this, and he said, and I'll read it again. Uh, but, thank, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Is anything moving you? Right now, think about it. Is anything moving you? Are you wavering? Are you not standing firm? What are you doing that's preventing you from standing firm? Are you involved in immorality? Are you involved in things that you know in your heart of hearts is not right? Is there conviction? What compromise have you allowed? Are you standing firm? See, these are things we need to ask ourselves. You know, if you are not, a very private matter, by the way, my challenge of you is to sit there by yourself 
away from that stupid TV, away from that stupid iPad, away from that stupid telephone, turn the darn thing off, away from the noise of the world, and you sit there quietly before your Savior. And deal with the conviction that's in your heart. Because he wants to set you free. And if you don't want to be set free, that's your business. But if you don't want to be set free, you're not standing firm. And if you don't want to be set free, then you don't have your eyes on Christ. And that's a challenge for us, you see. Oh, we allow such things to come into our lives, such compromise. And I love Paul because he's right to the point, stand firm. He goes out again, let nothing move you. And if something's moving you, cry out to the Lord, cry out to him and ask him to stabilize your walk and to stabilize your life for him. And so that's really what he's talking about. And I'll just read point B. Even though it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like for us in a resurrected state, we are to understand that we must keep ourselves ready for the trumpet call that will call us heavenward. Therefore, we are exhorted to stand firm in our faith through the victory over death and sin that is ours in Jesus Christ by giving ourselves fully to serving him well. And that's the challenge that he gives us when we think about those things. Are you bold enough to say, no, it stops here? Are you strong enough? Do you want to stand firm? Because we don't know when the trumpet call is calling, coming. We don't know when that last trumpet's going to be called up and call us up in the air. And whatever state we're in, that's when we rise from whatever that state might be to be with him. I tell you, it's altered the way it's changed. It's just changed the way I live. And just a couple things as I go down. How do we do this? Paul tells us it should be done with thanksgiving when he says, thanks be to God. It's a victory that he's given us. It is to be accelerated by a determination to live well for him, that is, lordship and holiness, stand firm. It is to be shown by serving Christ in our families and in his church and toward one another. Always give yourself wholly to the work of God because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Simple directives. Notice what he's directed us toward. Understand fully what I've done. Understand fully what is in store for my faithful ones. Let your life reflect thanksgiving toward what is truly of value in your life. Let your life reflect the lordship and the holiness that it should, which truly brings me honor. Serve me well. And I believe the more we grasp these concepts, it, the more it changes the way we live. And I just love how Paul's ending the book of 1 Corinthians with this understanding. Hey, if you're the Lord's, there's going to be a day when he lovingly calls us up to be with him. And we'll experience a depth of love we have never experienced in our life. We'll experience a kind of love that will just bring us such joy and grace and mercy and kindness in these things. And we will no doubt bow our heads, realizing that we haven't deserved any of it. But yet our God is such a giving God that he has given it to all of us to enjoy forever and ever. That gives me hope, and I pray it gives you hope also. That's the kind of God we have embraced 
the kind of Savior we have embraced. And that's the kind of power that we live in through the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. So challenging to us, Lord. Oh, but we love the challenges. Please continue to challenge us, Father. Please continue, Lord, to, to uh, law us or, or to rock us, Lord, or to pull us violently out of our lethargy or complacency or whatever it might be. And I just pray, Father, that we would all just get it. I pray for your anointing on each and every one here, whatever struggles might be going on, Father, for wisdom and guidance and direction and determination, Father, to just hold on to you for all your worth. You're taking good care of us, Lord. We're your kids. And you're our Father. And you love us very much, Lord, because you tell us you do. And we believe that, Lord. And we do not waver in that, Father. But I pray, Lord, just for an outpointing of your spirit upon each and every one in a fresh and a new way here, that you would give us victory over those things we are struggling with, that we find ourselves, Lord, standing firm as we wait for the trumpet call. And we can't wait to go home. Meanwhile, you have us here. And so, Father, what we want to do is to honor you and to live well while we're here, Lord, because you're all that matters. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege of bringing us together today to worship you and to love you through one another, Lord, and to listen to your word and to be challenged by your word. I pray, Father, we've honored your good name, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.